What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 86 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Wednesday, 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 March 21st, 2018. We have yet again switched up our recording schedule because I am at the every whim and desire of my co-host, Mr. Mike Brown, and he's in town. Yep, and he's down. Definitely am. Uh, I changed things up because I think that w- this would work a little bit better for our schedules now, and also you guys can get the podcast earlier and get it before the weekend, you know, so, because everybody can be listening to the podcast for the weekend. Um, but anyway, uh, <clears throat> this was, I think, our original schedule. If I remember it was, correctly. yeah, it was our original so, schedule everything comes full circle yes we're going og with it um because i know that's what everybody does you know like on their weekend they they pull out the the patio furniture they sit in the front yard and they start drinking from right when they wake up until they pass out finally all while listening to our podcast Which, I mean, you know, I mean, that's, whatever. That's that's how I would spend my weekend as well if I didn't have all these damn karaoke gigs. How you been doing, Mike? It feels like it's been a while. Uh, I've been doing all right. Uh, had my spring break. It was very uneventful. Did you uh, show your tits? No. At any point? No. You are no fun. <laughs> um, But I... I just went back to to a college this week, and they're really honestly, I'm feeling pretty good about things. Like before, I was like, ah, this this digital technology and culture, like animating a video, was freaking me out. But then eventually, I realized that it's a big, it's sort of a beginner class, so I don't have to go crazy with the animation. Just animate something. If it's just text popping up on the screen or something flashing on the screen, if that's the best I can do right now, that's the best I what can do. What did you think you had to do? Well, I thought I had to like be like uh I I I really honestly, I'm very creative. Like my my imagination is always uh, running wild. And so I overstepped my boundary like early on, so I was trying to do too much. And because of that, like, I got frustrated because I'm like, I don't know how to do this. And I'm like, oh, I can't figure out how to make this thing roll on screen or get this to bounce or get this to fly up or whatever. And I got really frustrated. But now I realize that, OK, I'm, I'm, I'm learning, learning to be more patient with it and just realizing that, OK, you know, whatever, just do the best you can. That's all you can do. It's just an assignment. It's not your final capstone project or anything. So you were basically trying to remake uh, Beast Wars, that show that was <laughs> on in the 90s. Well, I, I remember watching that show and I actually I, I enjoyed that show quite a bit. That's what I, you were trying and to I did, do. And I did pick up season two and three of that show recently at Big Lots for like three dollars. Like I'm just going to say, like, I thought that show was the shit when I was a kid. And I thought this new animation style, this like yeah. CGI was like so amazing. That show does not hold up well at all. Well, I think the animation doesn't hold up as well, but the storytelling does. Yeah. And that's the main thing with Beast Wars, is it was really well written. For those of you who don't know, Beast Wars was basically Transformers, but with, like, animals. But well, they, were ro- yeah. they were robotic animals, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So they had, like, a, a cheetah and a bee. Uh, I think the bee was my favorite. Uh, yeah, the gorilla. The gorilla, yeah, Primus or whatever it was mm. called. I don't know. But um, yeah, that was, uh, I was like, I, but it's crazy though, like how you remember I would say things. the animation holds up better than Reboot. Yeah, Reboot's another 90s cartoon that had the uh, CGI animation style. It just reminds Yeah, and apparently the same guys who did the CGI animation for the Dire Straits Money for Nothing video. Which also looked like shit. <laughs> they, well, I mean, for the time it Yeah, for the time it was you know yeah they did the animation for beast wars i think and reboot 
So there was like there was reboot. like two guys that did everything, all the animation <laughs> back then. Apparently, oh, I, I don't know if they did Beast Wars for sure, but I know they did reboot, and they uh, hated the fact that they were just known as being the guys who did the money for nothing animation. So they had like a uh, episode of reboot where they had those two guys show up at some talent show and get booed at and get crushed by some heavy anchor or like or anvil or some shit because <laughs> he was just like they were they they, they were pissed <laughs> love, and they put that in their uh cartoon yeah like i love how but that like are the 90s cartoons that we watched as kids like if you go back and you know you watch them there are so many jokes meant for adults in those cartoons that just flew right over my damn head. Like I just Dad's trophy in uh, Dexter's lab. You know the that ja- that gag. I'm jag. not familiar enough to recall all these yeah, 90s that, cartoons, that but that one is pretty funny. Like they definitely would not have gotten that as a uh, kid because it's a shot where uh, Dexter's father's, uh, you know, Dexter's mom. She bends over and she's with her you know with uh with her husband and he's looking over at her butt and it says dad's trophy wow <laughs> but anyway guys this is a podcast about the show unsolved mysteries although every it now- is you know, <laughs> you wouldn't think so from the title, from uh, the first <laughs> 10 minutes of this but uh yeah you know it is um it, it you know sometimes we veer off and do other cases like uh, my probably one of my favorite episodes where we talked about Scientology but we pretty much oh yeah I got mailed I see I've gotten so deep into Scientology that um people are you gonna get the Scientology network which is gonna be on Directv dude I might I might oh one of our <laughs> listeners Mike Mike Martin shout to Mike good old Mike. Uh, he sent me, he sent me like diet. It was it was the basics. Elron Hubbard, the basics. I, I don't. I think it might have been Dianetics. It was like some weird. You know, Scientology is all about these weird numbers and shit. It's like yeah. O hyphen eight. You know, the basics or some shit like that. But um, yeah, I'm getting t- I'm getting too down the rabbit hole, man. And I'm gonna start like declaring like Mike and all of other our listeners. You guys are all gonna be suppressive people, and I, I won't be able to talk to you anymore mike i'll have to disconnect from you and i'm gonna move down to clear water and so that's gonna be my future but anyway this show's about unsolved <laughs> mysteries uh if you like, I, I don't i don't i don't buy that but you know we'll see <laughs> it may, may happen may not uh i am no longer mucinex man i'm well finally uh Good. sorry for going off the rails last podcast uh and uh as far as i know the possum is uh i think it's still living here i saw him out in my front yard the other night which was very brazen on his behalf because <laughs> he normally only sticks to the backyard so uh he's starting to get you know he's gonna prop up a, a lawn chair and just yeah just flick chair. me off as i drive by <laughs> yeah I, I actually returned the possum cage because he's gotten to he's learned like he's learned the yeah. cage means bad so he's just the, he stayed away from the cage so i was like fuck it i'm getting my money back Anyway, he really is an awesome possum. God. If you want to like us on Facebook, we're facebook.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. You can search for our Facebook group, which I recommend joining more so than liking our page. It's a lot more interactive. That's a uh, Facebook. Well, just go to Facebook and search uncovering unexplained mysteries in the groups. Um, and for now, we're going to be covering the case of Steve Wilson. This was Mike's pick. Yes. Like, these are both I, Mike's picks, actually. Yep. Uh, I actually caught up on some unsolved mysteries uh, from season three recently because I had to. I thought I had to read an entire book for one of my classes, but I really did not have to read the entire thing. But I did anyway. And while I was doing that, I had uh, some unsolved mysteries uh, episodes in the background. So this is one that really caught me. It caught my eye and my attention. And I put the book down and, and uh, watched the rest of it. Uh, unimpeded and uh without distractions because this is what i don't remember seeing this one ever so this was actually a pretty good surprise i don't think this was on the the vhs rips yeah it was it was well i don't remember so the vhs rips that we taped or our parents taped when we were kids (laughs) that we saved all this time and legally own and um watch and we both happen to have the same exact segments (laughs) (laughs) so uh this is the case of Steve Wilson, who's a total sleaze bag, a total scumbag. 
his real name is Stephen Leslie Wilson. Oh, Leslie. Ooh, Leslie. And his he has a bunch of aliases: John Harden, John Hardy, John Stephen Harden. Does this guy have a complex or what? You know, really. <laughs> Michael Eisenberg. Wow, he's going. Michael uh, Eisenberg, Glenn Moyer. Is it Glenn Moyer? The name of like some guy who works for NPR these, or something. All these names sound like knockoffs of like famous people, like Michael Eisner. You know, J- uh, yeah. John Harding. John uh, John Harding. Harden. Like that's a, yeah. isn't that some somebody of of note? I don't well, know. well, I mean, there's a basketball player named uh, what what's his name, James Harden, and then there's but that was years later. But yeah, John Hardy, I guess he wanted to be one of the Hardy boys. He was a super fan, super fan of those books. There's Mike's trademark dad joke. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, Steve Wilson worked as a handyman on a ranch in California. Later getting involved with a 22-year-old woman named Callie Thornburg of Olancha, California. Callie's father, Bill Thornburg, owned the ranch. With Bill's blessing, Callie and Steve Wilson later married in Reno, Nevada. The marriage was a disaster. Wilson was abusive and often threatened Callie. And just two months after the wedding, she left him and moved back in with her father. A few days later, she told him that Wilson was making, making threatening phone calls to her. He claimed that he would hurt her take everything she loved away from her and ruin her life. Yeah, yeah this guy's a wonderful person, isn't he? Yeah, and she she didn't even want to get married. Um she more or less her dad was like telling her he, he thought it would be a good idea so she would have something more in her life than just her dad and in the ranch. So her- Yeah, and it also seemed like this guy was a red flag from the beginning. He seemed to be this type of guy who kind of flew off the handle. Had had a bit of a hot temper. Yeah, it's like a classic example of of somebody getting married just because it seems like the thing to do rather than getting married because you're in love. I thought the guy who played Steve in the reenactment did a good job. He definitely... Oh, uh, dude, this guy... This guy rocked a mustache and jean jacket. Like, that that look. (laughs) Like, he just was born... He was born wearing a miniature jean jacket and a little mustache like this. He was born to stash. Yeah, sure. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, three weeks after the breakup, Wilson returned to the ranch in an attempt to get Callie back. He and Bill got into an argument, which escalated when Wilson grabbed a crowbar and began to smash Bill's truck. Yeah, this guy's not an asshole at all. Like he's to- he's a totally just an upstanding he's, citizen. He's a reasonable guy, Mike. Okay, that's a very reasonable response to driving to somebody's house uninvited asking to speak to their daughter being told fuck off essentially and then going yeah you like them headlights well bam fuck your headlights i don't understand how the father didn't like shoot this guy i mean he's yeah like i mean you always hear that uh that kind of like dark joke of um you know, oh, I felt threatened for my life, so I shot him, you know, but you're, you know, the person wasn't really threatened, you know, I, I hear that yeah. from time to time. I mean, in this case, the dude's got a crowbar and he's, a, you know, walking towards you, and I mean, if you shot him, but but his daughter was like, no, don't do it, because he's not, you know, he's not worth it. He didn't want to get, he, she didn't want her dad getting involved with this guy, because she thought this guy would hurt him. But I'm thinking in my head, well, shit, if, if he shot him in the right place, then he wouldn't have to worry about this guy anymore. Yeah, exactly. And he is technically trespassing, so... Yeah. And, you know, he's being threatening, and... I'm just saying... He's smashing his truck. If the cops walked up to his body on the ground, and they see a crowbar next to him and a smashed headlight, uh, you know, it looks pretty good for the dad at this point. Yeah. But... The reason why he didn't shoot him is because of Callie, because Bill grabbed his gun and he planned to fire at him, but Callie stopped him because she didn't want her father to end up being hurt by Wilson. Pretty much what I just said. Yeah, but but at the same time, it's also like, I mean, if he shot him, that he wouldn't get hurt. Exactly. So at 6 a.m. on May 29th, 1979, Bill left the ranch house to his work around the ranch, and he never returned. When Callie went to search for him, she found his morning coffee sitting on his truck with his truck still warm. Never a good sign. No. Around the same time that Bill disappeared, Wilson vanished as well. 
Seven months later, on Christmas Eve 1979, a teenager riding his dirt bike 45 miles from the ranch found the skeletal remains of Bill Thornburg. The way they shot this was great. Like they had like the skeletal remains that are there on the ground, and the location they chose was uh, well scouted. This reminded me of kind of, it gave me like a Hills Have Eyes vibe. Because the same, it looked like it might have been shot in the same sort of area that you might have. They might have shot that film. I half expected like the mutants to jump out from behind the rocks and like attack the kid. Because there actually was a uh, there was a sequel that Wes Craven directed, uh, The Hills of Eyes Part Two, which is an awful movie. It's so bad it has a flashback from the dog from the first film. <laughs> and yeah, I know. And in this, there is like these. There's, there's like teenagers or young, uh, young guys on uh, dirt bikes riding around in in similar environments. So it, it, it reminded me of the Hills of Eyes Part Two. Uh, but this was this was actually good. Like this is a good say. This is like worth watching. Unlike Hills of Eyes Part Two. But uh, yeah, that's not something you ever want to run across. Yeah, anywhere. I often wonder, like, how would I react if I walked up on like human bones? Because I've seen plenty of like animal bones. I even saw yeah. an animal like carcass, like, like seventy five percent of the way decomposed, so it still had some of the hide on it, and that was uh-huh. pretty. Free- I've seen that before. I've seen, I've seen uh, animals that have got run over on the side of the road and things like that. But it's it's different when it's human remains. Yeah, you. Would I really think. think it would be different because it's like there's more of a. Con- I'm not saying you don't have connection with animals. Like, of course, people have connection with animals, especially if it's their pet. But if it's just some like a squirrel that you don't really know that well or whatever, I mean, not saying I don't care. I'm just saying it. You just don't have the same connection with with a dead squirrel on the side of the road as you do with like finding a dead body because it, it's. Especially, especially if the person uh, is, uh, if the if the dead body's wearing like a rush shirt or something, then I feel even more of a connection, and I'm like, damn, yeah. we we can't lose any more rush fans. <laughs> but yeah, uh, the skeletal remains would probably be easier to deal with than like just a freshly dead body. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Because then with the skeletal remains, you know, they're kind of strewn around, and you could be like, oh, it's like that. It's kind of the same. You'd be like, okay, you look at it from a medical perspective, or be like, well, I see this at like my science in my science class or something, you know, with the bone, the scully, which is I really that's what they called it, and and at my school they yeah, called it scully. That's clever. <laughs> yeah, so fucking great. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh. Yeah, so he found some bones, and uh, Wilson was charged with Bill's murder, but he remained on the run until 1981, when he was arrested in Las Vegas. He pleaded guilty to murder and was sentenced to 25 years to life in Folsom Prison in California. He soon became friends with some officers and other workers at the prison, and he eventually got the shipping clerk job at the prison, which he had, which had the least supervision of all the inmate jobs. It also allowed him to move fr- more freely throughout the prison. This guy was smart. Like, he found a way to schmooze his way around and just impress the pants off of the, the people who ran the prison to get this job. And then uh, he was planning this escape a, a year ahead. You know, this guy was just totally planning this all along. Um wasn't just a spur-of-the-moment thing. And so at 8.30 a.m. on August 3rd, 1984, while he was working at the loading dock, he put a detailed escape plan into effect. With two other inmates creating a diversion, he quietly entered the back of a truck that was being filled with boxes. The boxes covered him from the officer's view. The truck was then closed and driven away. Investigators believe that he then cut a hole in the roof of the truck with some like uh, pliers or some kind of uh, it's like wire cutters, uh, wire cutters with wire cutters, and uh, he escaped. 
And apparently this is similar to uh, the only other escape from Folsom Prison, which somebody escaped uh, uh, some decades ago before this uh, escape. And it was one of those, they hid in the truck and got away. Because apparently the weakest link at this prison is the most secured, one of the most secured places in the prison. Yeah, you know, Go figure. I see, I see, like, this is another, like, trope on Unsolved Mysteries that you constantly see, probably because it just happens a lot in, in real life. Um, prisoners are always given these, like, upper positions at some point where there's less supervision, and that's always how they escape every single time. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> stop giving these people these, like, upper jobs, you know, but then I'm reminded that um there were actually some prisoners who are model genuinely model prisoners well that and yeah. the biggest reason why they don't get rid of these programs is because when you're in prison slavery is no longer illegal and slave labor is a very uh, important asset to uh i think our country in the sense of getting prisoners to um get a lot of shit done that you know the, the state can get all these things accomplished and pay very, very little. I mean, it's, um, I think there's even a, a, an amendment, like in the, uh, in the amendment to the constitution, slavery is illegal unless you are incarcerated. It's something, it's not, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> but it's something like that. So, you know, with our government, it's like, interesting. yeah, it's like, oh, that's some, uh, you know, especially when you get people in supervisory positions where if they were just a normal supervisor, they'd be paid like a pretty decent wage. And you're paying these people like 50 cents, three dollars, two dollars an hour, however much it is, some menial amount compared to what they'd legally be required to pay them outside of jail. So it's if they get a few escape prisoners every now and then, I honestly think with our government, that is definitely a risk that they will keep, you know, be willing to take. With all that free labor that they're getting. Yeah. So two months later, he called prison guards to boast of his successful escape, proclaiming that he will never be caught. Police know his arrogance and contempt for the law and human life demands his return to jail. And while he is on the run, Callie is convinced that she will never be safe. Of course. Why would you? This guy killed your dad. He escaped. He's crazy enough to yeah. just, like, roll up to your house uninvited and, you know, start exactly. some shit. Yeah. yeah this guy's a fucking so, uh, here's some extra info on these boasts. Wilson was a much-wanted man by the FBI, in part because of his penchant for flaunting his escape. While he was on the run, he sent Christmas greetings to the warden at Folsom Prison. He contacted FBI and television reporters saying that the murder was justified and he was too smart to be caught. I work every day at not being caught, he boasted to one FBI agent. At one point, Wilson even videotaped himself being interviewed on the telephone and sent off the tape so it could be aired on the tabloid television show Inside Edition. Wow. He fled Florida in 1990 after learning that his story was to be aired on the television show America's Most Wanted. He later called the FBI to complain about its surveillance of his common-law wife, Lori Fitch who eventually was the one that recognized him. Because in 1992, a woman... I, I, don't, I don't know if it was uh, Fitch, but uh, it's saying that it was a woman that was watched the broadcast. So in 1992, a woman watched the broadcast and was shocked to find that her boyfriend, Glenn Moyer, looked like Steve Wilson. After Wilson saw his face on TV, he fled. I think it is, because saw his face on TV, fled, matches the timeline. Um... But uh, not 1990, though. So maybe he had a wife, fled, found another girlfriend, then fled again. His girlfriend contacted the FBI and told Wilson of his alias. Wilson, meanwhile, had fled to London, England. The FBI contacted the British authorities, where they tracked Moyer down to a hotel. Moyer was subsequently arrested and positively identified as Stephen Leslie Wilson. Wilson was extradited to the USA and is now serving a life imprisonment for the murder of Bill Thornburg. <laughs> you know, we can't, we talked about how all his aliases ha like sounded like you yeah. know generic knockoffs of other people. Well, the name uh, Stephen Wilson is actually the um, singer and songwriter for the band Porcupine Tree too. So that's even yet another 
uh, alias that or another uh, knockoff. I've never heard of that band, but okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, anybody who listens to uh, prog rock will know that band. Yeah. But I, I'm just, I, I just find it just crazy how boastful he was. I'm just imagining the Christmas card that he sent to the warden. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. I escaped. I'm still out there. You're never going to catch me. Suck it. <laughs> Suck it. <laughs> well, that's the MO of these guys when they, you know, they're, they're cocky bastards when before they got arrested, you know, before. I mean, it fits in. That's why these guys can't take it when their women want to leave them um, because they're, you know, huge douchebags because it hurts their ego more than anything. It's it, it's not even like they're upset because they're losing that person who they've connected with on a personality level or anything like that. They're just losing their trophy and, you know, yeah. Steve Wilson doesn't lose his girl. No one leaves Steve Wilson, you know, and so it throws yeah. him in a rage. It's the same thing with Elvis, you know, when we covered the Elvis story a long time ago. Uh -huh. He wasn't necessarily upset that Priscilla divorced him. He was more upset that the king, uh, no one divorces the king. The king gets what he wants, yeah. and in this case, he didn't, you know. So it's like yeah. it's, it fits in with the, the ego of, uh, of these And deaths. I got a little more information about uh, Wilson. Apparently... There was a, uh, when he was uh, living in St. Cloud, uh, which apparently was where he was hiding around in that area, uh, the friends and neighbors, they knew him as Glenn Moyer, a quiet, gentle man who was helpful to those in the community. And of course, federal agents know him as Steve Wilson, a murderer. And the, the, uh, some of the residents are interviewed in this article. Uh, Kevin Washick, who... Uh, lived in the home Wilson shared with his girlfriend and her, uh, her nine-year-old son, Shane. He, he's quoted here. He says, I'm stunned. The whole thing is beyond belief. He is such a nice man. He would always do anything he could to help someone. Uh, despite what reports say about Wilson, residents' thoughts about the fugitive remain unchanged. He was very likable, always helping people with their homes, said Paul Johnson, who lived less than a block away. He helped a lot of the neighbors build their homes. An expert builder, neighbors said, Wilson built his and Fitch's home brick by brick with his own hands. The couple met in Texas before moving to Central Florida four years ago. He was paid well for the work he did in the neighborhood, but they lived primarily in the money Lori got from her deceased husband's insurance. He was the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet, said another resident, who asked not to be identified. He was never violent to anyone, and he always waved when he passed by the house. What he did must have been a crime of passion. Well, regardless of what he did, still, what he did was still a crime, okay? Like, are these, like, people just buffing off? Oh, he's a nice guy. He did all this stuff. Like, he built a house. He did all these cool things and never did anything bad around me or in the neighborhood. He was great. Oh, he murdered some guy. Well, you know, it was a crime of passion. You know, it happens to everybody. No, it doesn't. It does not happen to everybody. <laughs> and he escaped from prison, so that's another crime. Exactly. So I don't get that. I don't get the... I, I get the, like, I don't believe. I couldn't believe it. But the whole... Oh, you know, he's, he's you know, he's good folk. You know, it's like he fucking killed a guy. I mean... Well, that's, that. you know, that's where perception, public perception goes a long way in those cases. You know, if he's a good-looking guy, if he's nice, if he's friendly... You know, I mean, you can, uh, you know, I mean, you can get away with a lot with with that, you know, and it goes both, you know, goes for men and women and, you know, whatever, you know, some could yeah. make the case against, you know, about like OJ, you know, he was so well liked by so many people. It was like, there's no way he could have done that, you know, and I mean, it just uh, that's that's where that gets you. And then people who are innocent who aren't well-liked, who have a bad public image, like the West Memphis Three, they get thrown in jail. So it just shows you how uh, faulty the uh, justice system can be sometimes. Yeah, I don't have anything else to say about scumbag Steve Wilson. Other than, you know, hey, all right, about if he did those nice things, good for him. Does not absolve or make up for the life that he took. So, um, Ooh, absolve. But, I liked I liked your use of that word there. And I, I'm I'm glad that he 
made an effort to try to be a better person, but uh, regardless, I'm glad he got caught and he's serving time. I'm glad he's behind bars. And I wish the best to um, the uh, uh, the daughter, whatever her name was, yeah. which I am forgetting. Ca- Carrie? <laughs> Callie. I think Callie. Callie. Yeah. And she lived in California. Wow. What an original... Her parents were really... Man, they were, uh, they, they, they did not put the pen down or no, they did put the pen down after coining that name because, uh, there was hot fire and smoke coming off that pen that with the uh, creative genius in that. Well, we live in California. Let's call her Callie. I actually like that name. Actually, I feel bad for, you said actually twice. Did I just mansplain to you, Mike, just then? (laughs) I'm sorry if I did actually (laughs) you know people say that that's mansplaining i always like the people who are like um actually um uh," i I just i just thought i always call those people like douchebags or assholes like i I never like well sometimes though that actually is something that you should be doing sometimes like there are people who really have said something that's completely incorrect and they're so confident about it to the point they're being a, a pretentious jack, you know, jackass about it. And so sometimes you have to like go back and be like, actually, you're wrong. You're 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 completely uh, out there, and nothing you said is correct. But really, I, I would like to use the I always like to use the Billy Madison quote. You know, nothing in that statement was correct. <laughs> you know, we are all now dumber. Having, uh, for having to listening, to, uh, for having listened to it. Man, you just, you know, it's like that. Yeah. You, you, prof- you professionally I s- fucked strolled up. through that quote. <laughs> I, t- I totally sounded like a total dumbass there. Um, but at least I admit it. I'll admit it for you, Mike. I'm not perfect. I'm not Although a I think I did. perfect person. Nope. But I think I did a pretty dang good job reading that. You did. You did. I was, you know what? I was actually thinking the whole time you're reading that. I was like, I was like, man, I'm kind of jealous of his reading skills this week compared to <laughs> compared to what I know mine are going to be in this next case, which is the case of Judith Himes. Himes, whatever. Hyman. Uh, well, this does deal with Hymans to a certain extent. So much class, so much class on this podcast, very classy. Um, this is a podcast you can put on in front it's, of mixed company, your grandmother. It's, it's, a, it's a podcast for the upper crust. Mm, yes, yes, you, um, you have to send us your W-2s before you listen. We have to make sure you make enough money. I don't know what the fuck that was. Let's, uh, let's stick to the thing here where I don't <laughs> have to like think off the top of my head. I'm surprised people still listen to this podcast, honestly. Anyway, we're talking about the case of Judith Hyams. In the days before it legalized abortion, some pregnant women turned to bogus doctors to perform the procedure, and many died. And that is true. Bogus. <laughs> that is true. Um, I think, I feel like back in school, they showed us a documentary, or not a documentary, it was a made-for-TV movie, which is the exact opposite of a documentary, but it was a made-for-TV movie of this chick who went to get an abortion and she died. And, you know, the fucked up part was not... Because I went to a Christian private school. The fucked up part of them showing us that was not to be like, oh, this is why abortion should be legal because, you know, this... You mean illegal? Oh, legal. Yeah, yeah. That, they're, yeah, they're not saying this is why abortion should be legal because there's crackpot doctors that will kill people in these procedures that they're going to get done anyway. No, no, their, their point that they were trying to drive home is, see, this is what happens when you get an abortion. So, uh, uh, my, high, yeah. my high school, ladies and gentlemen, Trinity Christian Academy, Jacksonville, Florida, feel free to send them hate mail um, and, and call and complain all you want. I almost thought you said tragedy, Christian. <laughs> Christian That's what it should have been called. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not just saying to send them hate mail because of that. <laughs> Their president diddled kids, and there was a suicidal or travesty, travesty Christian Academy. Yeah, you're still on that, okay? But uh, there, uh, there was a one guy who came into my uh, work one time who was suicidal, and uh, I called the headmaster, uh, Doctor Willinger, to uh, talk to this man. And it was like a weekend. I think it was a Saturday. Uh, Doctor Willinger told me over the phone. 
Uh, have them come by Sunday, uh, Sunday morning when church starts, and we'll be glad to talk to him then. Uh, apparently he was too busy with his, uh, fishing or whatever he was doing and couldn't be bothered to talk to the suicidal man. That's, that's, I tell you what, that is a great example of the Lord and being a servant to people. I tell you what, man, I'm just so embarrassed by the school I graduated from. That's totally the behavior of a saint. Oh yeah, totally. Anyway, um, we only have two listeners left now, so, um, so. Well, I mean, to be honest, not... Not every Christian academy or church or every priest or every I didn't say everyone is a gen- I didn't say everyone is I a said genuinely mine. good. Well, I know, but I mean, I'm just saying I don't know why you lose anybody because I I think that's a good thing to point out that not every pastor, uh, priest or Christian academy or church is full of genuinely good people. Sometimes there's people who are in those positions of power in the church or in a Christian academy who are fucking awful people. You know what, Mike? In 1965 in Coral Gables, Florida, a 22-year-old medical technician named Judith Himes learned that she was pregnant. On September 16th, she went for the operation. 14th. 14th. She went for the operation and never returned. The name she gave for her pregnancy test was a false one. B. Kenny an indication that she may have been trying to keep her condition a secret. Judith's friend, Marilyn Jackson, never knew her of her friend's pregnancy. Of her friend's pregnancy. <laughs> Quoting her friend here, Judy never said anything to me that she might have been pregnant. She called me, I guess the day that she was going to have the abortion, if that is what happened, to tell me that she was leaving work early and going shopping. That day, Judith went back to her bank and withdrew $300. She told her friends that she was going to buy a watch. Police believe that Judas used that money for an illegal abortion instead. Detective Sergeant Bob Robkin of the Coral Gables Police Department was quoted as saying, We were able to determine that she contacted a close friend of hers who helped arrange an abortion through the suspect, Dr. George Hadju, and through that, a date and time and price were set for it. The last time she was seen, we feel that she was on her way to get this abortion. Now this Hadju guy is a total, he looks like a kook. Yeah. He really does. George Hadju was a Hungarian immigrant who posed as a physician. (laughs) That just sounds hilarious, (laughs) that line. Uh, Police say he operated an illegal abortion clinic in Coral Gables. Maryland does not believe that Judith died having this procedure. So he's a poser. Yeah. Which, that's got to be terrifying. Like, I mean, getting an abortion's got to be, like, like awful enough. But, like, going to an Mm -hmm. illegal abortion clinic where like there's not the standards and practices i'm just imagining that like the illegal abortion there was actually a film i saw that dealt, dealt with illegal abortions and it was like this crazy mutant baby it's called the suckling and it was actually i thought it was for a low budget movie it was actually quite entertaining and it's like there's a legal abortion that was going to happen but then the baby got born anyway and just and it was like in the slums or somewhere so in in this really bad part of town and this mutant baby thing grew up and started you know eating people so yeah but uh really it's it's terrifying imagining just like some really uh dark room with not very good lighting uh, but a bunch of like rusty old uh, just med- medical, medical equipment. equipment, yeah, which is scary in and of itself. Like medical equipment, like just is not a very fun thing to look at. Marilyn does not believe that Judith died having the procedure. A lot of people have said this, is quoting her here. A lot of people have said that she died having an abortion. Judy was a lab technician. She had a lot of medical knowledge. I find it hard to believe that she could have died that way. Surely she would have known. She was intelligent enough to know to go for help. Uh, that makes no, there's no logic in that statement whatsoever. No. Is she an abortion no. technician? Because if Judy was an abortion technician, then yes, maybe she would have known better. And go to go for help. Go where? They were illegal. Yeah, exactly. What, what help? Is she going to call? She, there's no cell phones in this time period. So she couldn't just call 911 or call the police or... 
what help should, could she call for? Well, I mean, the cell phone thing is, you know, they still had regular phones that she could have used if she wanted to. But I mean, yeah, point, I guess. Point but being I mean, is that, you know, those are probably harder to come. You're by. not going to go to Planned Parenthood <coughs> and excuse me. Yeah. You you know, I sneeze at this, too, Mike. I, I feel the same <laughs> way. Uh, so wherever she had gone that day, Judith Himes never came home. Three weeks later, a rental car registered in Judith's name was found 650 miles away in Hotlanta, Georgia. On the back seat were traces of blood, according to Detective Sergeant Bob Robkin. Unfortunately, the car had been there two or three days before it was found. By the time we were able to conduct any crime scene work on it, the car had been handled by other police agencies. And by the time it got back to Dade County to be processed, whatever crime scene that existed was totally ruined. Yeah, Dade County, that's, ruined. that's actually pretty close to... It's not close to where I live, but I, I definitely know. That, so, that sounds like you were trying to do an impression of the character that uh, Sasha Baron Cohen played in, in uh, Talladega Nights. I think Ricky Bubby. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, uh, that's unfortunate, and that's pretty fucking lame. That it's, uh, they're, oh, uh, by the time they're able to do anything on it, the car had already been handled by other police agencies. Yeah, a local resident had seen a man in his 30s parking the vehicle. How'd they know he was in his 30s? Uh, he removed what appeared to be a duffel bag from the trunk and then left he the He was area. wearing a t-shirt that said, you know, <laughs> to, dirty 30. To, today is my 33rd birthday. <laughs> this man was never identified. Three months later, George Haju, Haju was arrested for impersonating a physician. Police suspected Haju might know about Judith Himes' disappearance from Coral Gables. However, George Hadju jumped bail and was never seen again. Shortly after Hadju fled, the investigation into Judith's disappearance ground to a halt. In a quarter, uh, in a quarter of a century passed. That's a weird way to word it. Uh, then a bizarre series of events caused the case to be reopened, and it began with a routine law enforcement seminar, which I wouldn't imagine a more boring seminar so when the red light happens, the car is supposed to stop. If it doesn't stop, you should probably give him a ticket. Uh, so <laughs> I, I would love to see, you know, and that, that that'd be great. Josh as a as a police captain. Just yeah. So when you're uh, when you're you, lack you know, lackadaisically, lackadaisically just uh, when you, listing off uh, the uh, routine seminar when you're when you're parked behind the billboard with your little speed gun and the speed limit's 55 and someone drives by going 60 and you got to pull them over and give them a ticket uh who who wants some donuts <laughs> anyway coral gables police captain chuck shearer lectured at a police academy near omaha nebraska when shearer returned to florida he received a mysterious phone call the caller claimed to be the host of a radio program in omaha he said he had received a phone call about the disappearance of Judith Himes, but when Captain Shear called the station the following day, the radio host said he had never heard of Judith Himes and uh, had not called Captain Shearer. Quoting Shearer, he says, I was confused. I didn't know what to think. Why would a 25-year-old case surface all of a sudden out of Omaha, Nebraska, when in fact I've never been to Omaha, Nebraska prior to that visit? I had no knowledge about the case. I never mentioned the case the whole time we were out there for the simple reason that I really didn't know anything about it. Two days later, Captain Shear received another strange phone call. This time, the caller said that Judith Himes was alive and living in Omaha. He said, my gut feeling was that something was going on to bring this case back up 25 years later, and it was very possibly that Judy was, in fact, living in the Omaha area. That I mean, I probably meant to write uh, very possible. <laughs> it was very possibly. Yeah, but uh, anyway, uh, th this is really where this case takes. Uh, I mean, I, I already thought this was a good case even before it got to this point because the whole backdoor, you know, uh, not necessarily backdoor abortion. That's a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not, <laughs> not that's a, not not a quite the same thing. So uh, you know the uh, just uh, the um, the whole. Uh, What's the right word? What's the word I'm trying to think of? Just the whole... It's... When it's something that's not legit, so, like, the whole non-legit abortion aspect, like, that was... Illi that illegitimate? Was illegitimate. Yeah, there we go. Wow. Hey, I said some <laughs> other stuff. I made up for it. All right. So, but anyway... 
Then a story about I, the, the Hyams case appeared in a local newspaper, and Captain Shear received a third mysterious phone call. This one mentioning the fraudulent Dr. George Haju. The third phone call I received was from a man that identified himself as an informant for the FBI. He refused to give me his name, but he said that he had just spent several weeks with Haju over in Budapest, Hungary, and gave me a phone number. I contacted Interpol. And they determined that the phone number he gave me indeed came back to the same name of the suspect at that time, the doctor that supposedly performed the abortion. Now that that is eerie. That that would be too. That's that's that makes too much sense for it to be a hoax or someone just trolling yeah. this guy. Well, well, I also felt. I mean, before I I also felt it makes too much sense. I mean, the whole like, why would some older lady troll the police department and say, Judy? Judith Himes is alive and she's living in Omaha. Like, why would somebody do that? Yeah, I know. As it's well. very, very weird. Um, and, you know, this was pre-internet days when there was, like, no way to really get this kind of information without searching through those old newspapers and libraries on that big magnifying glass machine, which I've always wanted to use. I see it a lot in movies and stuff. I've always wanted to use one of those things. But yeah, I mean, it's like, that's, it's just, it's so specific, you know, it's something fishy's going on, you know. And then the, the police captain's like, I didn't know anything about this case at all. So before all this stuff started coming up, police couldn't locate George Haju in Hungary, but they felt it was highly unlikely that he was responsible for the phone calls. The only real evidence that Judith was alive came from the mysterious callers. Captain Shearer said, the only possible scenario that I could see is that she didn't want the family to know about the supposed abortion at the time and she just disappeared and in fact was missing for 25 years. I don't I don't buy that scenario. Uh, well, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I guess it could be a possibility uh, considering what how abortion was viewed around that time period. But yeah, for 25 years, that that's a bit. I mean, you had an abortion. You didn't, like, I don't know, kill your well, family. Well, but really, maybe she would, this is a baby she was having out of wedlock, which was really frowned upon at that around that time. And then you put on top of that an illegal abortion. Yeah, that's not going to be something that's going to be uh, looked at very fondly by her family members. I feel so bad for women at this time in history because, like, the guy is just, like, off the hook at this point. Like, he doesn't have to yeah. deal with, like, anything. He can just, you know, whoops. But, yeah, it's just so much nicer, I guess, uh, well, now, because, I mean, like, uh, I mean, nobody wants to have an abortion, but, you know, and, and obviously the goal is to have less abortions. However, yeah. being able to have it legally... You know, in, in a safe place and all that. It's like, I don't know. It's, uh, it's a much better thing than this, than, than this crazy, almost like third world country sounding situation, but surprisingly happened in the United States. Um, but as far as the phone calls go, they give uh, Marilyn hope that her friend might still be alive. She says, I believe that she was someplace and that she could be found or that she would come back or that we'd know that she was all right. It's hard to believe that she would be dead. I can't understand if she was alive, why she wouldn't contact somebody after all this time. After all, there are no stigmas left. Huh, that's debatable for that time period. Why wouldn't she come back? Uh, Marilyn, I think, is either not too bright or she's very delusional in every sense of the word because at first she didn't think her friend went to get the abortion and now she's like, she might still be alive. I think she is actually then there's no more stigma on abortion anymore in, like, the fucking early 90s. Uh, yeah, no, there definitely was and still is. I wouldn't say as much as the 90s, but... Yeah, not as much as, like, the, the 60s when this happened. So, yeah. So, four days after this story was broadcast, an unsigned letter arrived at the Coral Gables Police Department. The typewritten note said that Judith Himes died from complications during an illegal abortion and that her body was dumped in the Biscayne Bay near Miami. Good God. Police feel the letter was legit and have no explanation for the mysterious phone calls from Nebraska. Detective Sergeant Bob Robb can close the, gate, the case, but questions remain. We would like the author of the letter to come forward and contact us at the Coral Gables Police Department. Because the statute of limitations expired on the case, there would be no criminal prosecution. 
We uh, would also guarantee total confidentiality to the writer of the letter. Now, now uh, <laughs> the letter is like really tiny, but somebody in the comment section kind of deciphered it a little bit. So this is what the letter is essentially saying. Judy Hyams is not alive. She came in for an abortion and was given an injection of anesthetic to which she had an immediate allergic reaction. Everything that could be done was done. However, the reaction was fatal. The body was disposed of in Biscayne Bay. Yeah, that's... Uh, do you believe it's legit or, or do you feel that... No, I do. I do. I feel, I, feel like, I feel like the author of the letter felt the need from, you know, the heat that was on them to a certain degree from all these rumors being circulated about. I felt like somebody they whoever was involved with this felt the need to put it to rest, you know, so maybe the cops would stop searching, would stop investigating. Although I don't think they were hardcore using a lot of their resource to investigate this case anyway. Um, yeah, but what about the lady that called in? I mean, that's that's the Yeah, that's I mean really that's like... the unsolved mysteries part of this whole thing, you know? I mean, that's what makes this case so weird and i mean i also feel like um i, I feel like i like it's also interesting to me that that this this is one of those cases where you know someone went to have an abortion back in the olden days and and it was you know they had to hide it and and i i'm i i'm i think it's cool that unsolved mysteries would tackle stuff like this you know because i think a lot of shows yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't touch these kind of stories you know because that that was still a controversial topic back back then that was frowned upon yeah well even back in like the 90s or 80 you know late 80s early 90s when they ran this episode that was that was still a hot topic you know yeah so um yeah i mean there's no updates or anything i mean she's she's dead I mean, even if she wasn't dead, she'd be old as fuck now and probably would be dead of old age. <laughs> so, I mean, this show's pretty old. I mean, she was born in 1943. Jeez, I think my grandma was... No, my grandma was born in the 30s. My grandma's dead, though, too. Yeah. My grandma's still alive. That's good. She's uh, in her 80s. Yep, most of my family's dead, except my parents and uh, brother. My immediate family's still alive, but uh, all my, you know... Well, that's too bad, eh. but, you know... It is what it is. Uh, it happens. Yeah, it does. Uh, I didn't really know many of them that well. Yeah, I have a really gigantic extended family, but I don't know everybody really, really well. But um, one of my aunts and my grandmother and, of course, my mom and and, and my dad and people like that I know fairly fairly well. And uh, so I, I've lost some grandparents, but... I don't didn't really wasn't super close with them, so it's one of those where, you know, it it I'm a bit sad that they're gone, but it's it's not like I'm it's hard it's hard to have feelings anything. for people when you don't know them from Adam and just because they're family, it, that, yeah, that, honestly that holds no water for me. If if somebody's family and I don't know you, that doesn't mean anything to me. You could be my family member and be a fucking huge dick. Or be, you know, some kind of like, yeah. you know, you could be in the clan or something, you know, that I don't support that. You know? <laughs> oh, but it's your family member. Like, I don't care if I know you, uh, you know, like some of my friends mean more to me than some of my family members do, honestly, because my you'd be like, damn it, Bobby, damn it, Bobby, <laughs> I'll tell you what. Get out of that clan. <laughs> Oh boy, you joining the Ku Klux Klan again? How many times <laughs> I gotta tell you? Stay the hell away. <laughs> Taking away all your pillowcases. <sighs> um, yeah, so I guess that's the podcast. Gotta cut it a little short this week because uh, I gotta go to my gig, do some uh, karaoke for people. Don't want to do it, but gotta keep... At Applebee's? Uh, no, this is at a place called the Dak Shack. It is a very urban establishment. I will be playing the hip-hop hits... From nine until the one. Dak Shack? Yeah, like da huh. like daiquiris. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know you don't. Is it D-A-K? D-A-Q. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. But uh, anyway, if you want to um, throw... That'd be crazy if somebody requested the Love Shack by B-52. No, that, that <laughs> wouldn't be crazy. That would be a Mike Brown dad joke is what that would be, which is what that was. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I know, I know. But... A deck shack? Or did they sing the love shack there? Eh, eh, eh. <laughs> That's a knee slapper. <laughs> Mike, I bet you like black licorice, don't you? No, I don't. I hate black licorice. Okay. Do you take, um, uh, what are those things that you put in the water that, Alka-Seltzer, do you take that at any point no. during the day? No, Um Absolutely not. Okay, you don't have false teeth, I know that. No. Do you enjoy watching Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune? No, I like watching Celebrity Jeopardy on S SNL. Okay, well, all right, you might not be an old man yet, but you're well on your way. But I guess I am, too. Um, yeah, you are, too. You shouldn't be talking. Yeah. <laughs> We're around the same age. Well, no, I just mean, you know, and how your your, uh, your mannerisms. No, I'm, I'm pretty immature, I have to admit. Anyway, you me if you want to contribute to our Patreon account, it's patreon.com. I don't know why. At this point, uh, like, after this point, I don't know why the fuck you would want to give us any money. <laughs> but if <laughs> if you do. I honestly think it's been better than last week. So, you know, hey, you know, is what it is. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll post that. A huge that huge rant uh that i edited out of the pot no i won't i'm not posting that anywhere no you will never hear that i got upset about something in the middle of the podcast and i kind of lost lost it josh got triggered i did i did get triggered uh but it's patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries uh we have a twitter uh page that i always forget to promote but i do post yeah, uncovering um yeah it's at uncovering um at uncovering um um, U is in unicorn, M is in Mike, uh, and you can catch us on YouTube separately, but very much equally. Mike's YouTube page is YouTube.com/slash uncovering sh shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? Wait, uh, let me start that again. It's YouTube.com/slash OCP Communications, and he does movie reviews and uh, some other stuff in there. What's the last thing? What's the last movie you reviewed? Spawn, oh. the 1997 film, oh. and then I just recently posted a uh, another episode of Celluloid Nation, the podcast I do with my good friend, another good friend of mine named Matt, and we just talked about films that we feel should be on Blu-ray that are not on Blu-ray ah. for some reason. So did your uh, feelings on Spawn change at all after doing... Uh, it's still, an, it's a time waster. Mm, okay. Uh, you can find me on YouTube, youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Uh, for the love of God, people, please show me some love and buy my new album. I'm begging you at this point. Listen to this e-begging. But you're actually getting something for, for the money, so it's not like I'm just asking for money. But yeah, my new album, uh, The Nightmare Inside You, is complete. You can uh, get the CD on Bandcamp. Uh, I will have the link in the description to this podcast. Um, you can also listen to my album on Spotify or Apple Music if you're a cheap bastard that doesn't believe in supporting the artist. Um, I'm just joking. I know a lot of people, you know, you, you want to try, you want to try before you buy. I, I'm the same way. I don't really buy something unless I know I'm going to like it. I, I like that. I, I like the fact that you can try before you buy now because there's a lot of albums that people might have bought in the past that were just garbage. Right. And they're like, well, I spent like. Because CDs weren't weren't necessarily super cheap no, back then. No, no, they're like eighteen bucks. You know, they they were really expensive, like new releases and all. Like that's what what I always used to do back in the day is I would download the out, I'd pirate the album, and if I liked it, then I would buy it, and if I didn't like it, then I, I felt good that I just saved myself twenty bucks. Yeah. So you can do that now, but legally. Um, but yeah, if, uh, give it a listen and check it out. Um, we're on, like I said, Spotify, iTunes, uh, Bandcamp. Uh, I think I'm on Tidal, like the music program I use. I'm even on like Jay-Z's music platform. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the last, the latest video I did on my YouTube channel, because um, I do videos on there. It's not just the uh, Dancing with Ghost stuff. Um, I just did a video on how to start a successful podcast, as this one you know, successful is a very loose term for this podcast, but I feel like I gave you good enough advice that if you follow the advice in the video, you will have a successful pod podcast. So if podcasting is something that you want to get into, check out my, my video. I go pretty in depth about everything. Um, so I think that's about it for me and, um, yep. for me and Mike, that's, that's the podcast. Hope everyone has a good rest of your week. Take care. Sayonara. Sayonara.
What's up everybody, Josh here. Just wanted to let everyone know that my new album, The Nightmare Inside You, is now available on Bandcamp, Spotify, and iTunes. Thank you for any and all support. It means the world to me.